Hello and welcome to another edition of the Time Room Bullseye Podcast. I'm Eamon McEnany. Quarterfinal weekend certainly had a little bit of everything, and in just a moment I'll get into all that with Dave Petromala, who's coached against all four teams remaining in the tournament. But if you watched the end of North Carolina's win over Notre Dame on Sunday, you had to be moved by what that moment meant to Joe Bresci and his family. People who follow lacrosse, people who are involved in lacrosse, obviously have known that story. But you sort of let it be, so to speak, out of respect for the family and what they've been through. But last week on our conference call to get ready for that game with Coach Bresci, he told us that with his team going back to Columbus, Ohio, where Michael passed and where he spent more than a decade as head coach of the Buckeyes, Michael was really on his mind. And he told us, that what happens between Notre Dame and North Carolina on the field Sunday is just a game. In his words, I'm going to see my son. Well, the North Carolina players went out and played for their coach. And they won that game for their coach. And somehow, in the end, the fact that the Tar Heels are back in the Final Four for the first time since 1993, at the end of that game, that fact became secondary. And I am now pleased to be joined once again by Dave Petromal, the head coach at Johns Hopkins. Uh, coach, thanks a lot for uh, spending some time with me today. My pleasure, Amy. Good to talk to you again. Uh, obviously, you've played all four teams left. Uh, you watched the games, bits and pieces, I'm sure, over the weekend. Uh, from a strictly lacrosse point of view, uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the quarterfinal round? Well, you know what? I, I, I thought, uh, you know, what was impressive to me and what, what stuck out to me were, were, were a couple things. You know, one is with, uh, North Carolina, you know, and how convincing, uh, I thought their, their, their win was. I, I don't know necessarily the, the score, uh, at the end of the game was indicative of how well I thought they played. Um, you know, they came out and it was obvious they had a, a purpose. Um, you know, and they, they've done a really good job of, of, I think, starting to play their best lacrosse, you know, at the end of the season. Um, you know, they're balanced. Uh, you know, they got scoring from a, a number of different guys. Uh, Cloutier um, played well. And when you look at them, um, you know, they're starting to really, it, it seems like they're starting to hit their stride, in particular in the defensive end. Uh, I thought uh, they really did a good job. I thought Pafani. And, uh, and Rowlett really played well. Uh, so, you know, I feel like when you, one of the takeaways is Carolina looks to me like they're, they're really hitting their stride right now. Defensively, they're, they're really starting to put it together. Um, and then offensively, you know, they're, they're, they're involving more people. And I thought they were, they were excellent off the ground. Um, and the other one is, is Maryland. You know, obviously, uh, I know, uh, you know, I know three three of the teams a little bit better than the fourth round, only because we play these three others year in and year out. And you know, the Maryland team uh, reminds me a bit of our our, our 2005 team um, that is very businesslike. Um, you know, it, it, you know, you watch them; they've been the one team that's been consistent all year long. Um, you know, they've continually gotten better; um, they've continually gotten stronger. When you watch them. Uh, and, and I think the, the, the biggest thing that stood out to me was after the Big Ten championship game, which, you know, is a, is a big deal. You know, second year of the conference, they win the Big Ten uh, tournament. And, you know, they celebrate, but they celebrate in a fashion like, okay, 
you know, that's one goal accomplished. We got more to accomplish here. They just seem to me to be very focused, very businesslike. And when I watch them, those kids seem to really enjoy playing together. Um, so, you know, those are two things that stood out to me with those teams. Uh, obviously, Brown, you know, to, to win uh, without Dylan Malloy, I think, says an awful lot. I think a lot of people might have said that was really going to hamper them. And they still uh, found ways to run. Um, you know, and I think the, the keys to their success, uh, while Dylan Malloy is a great player, you know, go up the middle of the field from their goalie to their transition game and, and, and their faceoff guy. Um, so I thought it was impressive that they were able to uh, come away with a win there. And then, you know, Loyola's, you know, they've been playing some, some very good defense. Uh, you look at uh, their goaltender, the young goaltender has stepped in and really done a, a great job. But I think the thing that stands out most about Loyola is, the fact that they are—they seem to have changed the way they're playing to me. Uh, you know, they've always wanted to push the tempo, push the ball, and I think their midfielders in particular have done a good job of buying into what the coaches are telling them, settling the ball down. Uh, everything's running through Spencer. They're getting Spencer a touch, and they're letting him make the decision. Do we run? Do we settle things down? I think they're, I don't know if it's a change in philosophy, but they're adjusting um, you know, their style a bit has really been helpful to them. All right, uh, let's set aside Maryland because I think they're a different animal when it comes to this because you mentioned they're playing with a purpose. They've been to two straight Final Fours. But the other three teams, except for a handful of 50-year seniors and grad students for Loyola, have never experienced this week before. Take us, you know, behind the Iron Curtain as a program. You've accomplished something on Saturday or Sunday. There's no doubt, you know, except for a few certain programs, getting to the Final Four for these three teams is a validation for your season. Now as a head coach, how do you turn the table from, okay, you can celebrate, now let's go to work, we got a bigger one on Saturday. Take us through that sort of process for these kids and, more importantly, for the coaches to, you know, the, manage the week? Well, I, I think, you know, your, your question – uh, you know, it's it, it probably the most important question for these other three teams. As you mentioned, Maryland has been there. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're the, the big brother on the block, so to speak. They've been around. Uh, they understand what it's like. They understand the travel, the banquet. Um, they understand the practices, all that. You know, and the question is, who manages this, you know, this new season, this, this, this third season, as, as we would call it here at Hopkins, um, who manages this third, third season the best? And when you look at it, you know, you could look at it and say for, you know, Brown and Carolina, you know, kudos to, to, to them. They got to the final four. And the question is, is, is that going to be enough? Are they comfortable? You know, have they, you know, accomplished their goal? Uh, my sense is with Carolina, that's not the case. Just, just watching, you know, watching them play. Um, but it is something that's going to play a huge role. You know, for, for us, it was always, you know, we created a new season and we created it one game at a time. You know, the key is not to look beyond this next game, not to look at what could come, you know, a, a championship game, a championship trophy. Uh, I think the coaches got to, you know, refocus their teams on the, to, on the things that have helped them be successful and focus on that process rather than, focus on winning. Uh, I think they need to continue to do things the way they do, have done them. So you travel the way you've traveled. You practice the way you practice. You don't all of a sudden change because the stakes are higher and the venue is, is, is bigger and different. You know, Quite frankly, I think now is when you go back to, to, to really focus on 
who you are and what you've been up until this point. So how you eat your team meals, how you practice, you know, how you travel, um, what your expectations are in a hotel, um, you know, how you game plan going into this weekend. I, I think that's where you fall back on, you know, your, your, your substance and, and, and your process. Um, and I think that the, the team of all three of these teams that can manage that and, you know, focus on what it takes to be successful rather than, you know, the, the holy grail at the end of it. Um, and the team that can, you know, look at this and say, we want more. We're not here just to be here. We're here, you know, to, to take another step in this game. Not to, to win a championship, but take, take another step in this game and focus on that game. I think that that's going to be very helpful to the team or the teams that can do that. All right. A few uh, moments ago, you compared this Maryland team to your 05 Hopkins team, and that was certainly the comparison uh, I was thinking about uh, on the way home from Columbus last night in the sense of, you know, playing for a purpose. And it's, you know, that tradition is the reason why you go to Johns Hopkins. That tradition is the reason why you play lacrosse at Maryland. But with that comes a burden. You know, what did that burden, what's that like, you know, taking the field and saying, we got to win it, you know, for Johns Hopkins. And now we got to win it in 1975. I mean, I'm not doing a great job asking the question here, but what's that burden like and how do you make sure the players don't carry it with them out on the field on Saturday afternoon and they play the game the same way they've been playing it all year? Well, you know, there is that burden, or at least we felt that burden, uh, you know, in 03 and in 04. And I think, Eamon, you know, your experiences mold you. And, um, you know, Maryland's been there before. They've you know, they, they've been to the championship game before. And I just, I sense something different about this team. Um, you know, having seen them up close and personal, having played them and prepared for them. Um, you know, I, I felt like in 05, our 05 team was like, okay, you know, let's just get the regular season over. We'll do what we got to do to get through the regular season, but let's get to the playoffs. And then let's, you know, enough of the playoffs, let's get to the final four. And I actually think, Maryland still can play better lacrosse. Um, I think they've played excellent lacrosse, but I still think they can play even better. Um, I think this is the best team they've had. They've got great chemistry. Um, you know, and, and quite frankly, I don't think our 05 team was burdened by it. I, I think, quite frankly, we were motivated, but it wasn't a burden. Um, you know, the fact that this team from Maryland has gotten there and, and, and not won it, I think that's more the motivation than what they haven't done for so many other years. You know, quite frankly, these kids have nothing to do with any of those years. What they have is, is, is you know, they have, um, they've been involved in the last couple of years when they've gotten to the Final Four, gotten a championship, you know, day on Monday, but haven't been able to get over that hump. You know, I think that's their motivation. I don't think this group appears to me to be burdened by, what Maryland hadn't done, you know, in the previous however many years. That burden isn't theirs. Their burden is over the last couple of years, and that's their motivation. And I felt like for us, when we first got back to the Final Four, you know what, sometimes you got to lose to win, and you got to experience it to win. And look at Denver. Denver got there, didn't win, and then, boom, they win it. You know, same with us. Uh, Maryland's gotten there, didn't win it. And I, I think they're as well prepared as they've been to win it doesn't mean they will doesn't mean the other teams aren't qualified to win it they are but i don't think maryland carries that burden as you're mentioning of all those other years i think they carry motivation for the last couple years to to have a different outcome for this group of guys 
And they get ready to play Brown this week. And I know, obviously, there's a great unknown about Brown this week. You know, listening to Coach Tiffany before the game on Saturday, it doesn't sound good uh, for a Dylan Malloy return, but who knows. But just in general, I think throughout the year, when it comes to Brown, when I talk to some of your colleagues in the coaching profession and some of my colleagues who cover the sport, the theme is they look really good when you watch them on TV, and then you see them in person, and they look even better. What was your takeaway? And obviously Malloy was healthy against you guys, but what was your takeaway about the team you played a week or so ago in Providence? Well, I think the, the, the one thing that really stands out to me was they looked very good on film at the face-off deck and off the wings, and in person they're even, they're, they're even more outstanding. Uh, you look at the kid at the X, he has done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, and that's where transition for them starts. But then you look at the poles, and, and they, they, they approach it in a very unique way. They play with two poles up. Um, you know, and most teams wouldn't want to do that. Most teams do that out of um, necessity, not out of strength. Right. And they do it out of strength because those two kids are, are just, you know, fabulous off the wings. I mean, I'm looking at them, and, um, you know, they they do an unbelievable job with uh, in terms of point production. I mean, it, I, I can't get over how many points they have. So, you know, that's an area where I don't think film does them justice. Um, you know, in, in terms of the rest of their team, you, you know, we walked into our game with tremendous respect. You couldn't not. The numbers speak for themselves. The amount of points that their attack is, is putting up is, you know, is ridiculous. So we felt like that was the biggest area when we walked off the field saying, you know what, we knew they were good at the X and off the wings. Man, they're even better than we thought there. And that is, I think, the first place, you know, Maryland probably has to figure out how do they want to play that phase of the game because that phase of the game really, you know, it, it, it jumpstarts Brown. Uh, they get more transition off that face-off X. They get more goals you know, whether it's off, you know, right off the faceoff or in quick strike or early offense after the faceoff. And I think that's, uh, that's a dilemma that everybody's struggled to, to kind of solve, you know, ourselves included. Um, you know, and you saw it in the Navy game again early on. They, they create offense from there. So that's an area where I think they are better than they appear on film. Uh, last one for me on this game, and then we'll move to the next game. But uh, a wise guy, a uh, play-by-play announcer studying Maryland the last couple of years might say, all right, the Terps are going to break out the turtle and play slower than slow in this one. But as you mentioned, they're, they're playing great and they're better equipped offensively. Uh, if you were in the booth with me and Quint on Saturday for this one, what kind of tempo would you expect Maryland to play with with the ball? Well, you know what? I've always believed that you can run against the runner, and okay. I, I truly believe you can do that to Brown. Uh, they create transition opportunities for you just by the way you play. Um, I don't think Maryland wants to get into an all-out, up-and-down fiasco with Brown because I think that plays into Brown's hand. Although I will say this, I think Maryland is mature enough, um, they're well-coached enough, but they're mature enough on the field to, t- to be able to take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves and if it's not there, you know, then pull it out. I, I can see Maryland you know, not telling their kids, listen, we're not going to say we're not going to run. We're going to cross the midfield line. And once we get across the midfield line, if we got it, we'll take it. But if we don't, then we'll make the decision, you know, to pull it out, bring our people on and, and play, uh, you know, play half field offense. And I think this Maryland team is equipped to be able to do that. I think they have the maturity and the experience with their, with, with their short sticks, their poles and their middies 
to actually be able to do that. And I think their attack is experienced enough to be able to, you know, kind of tell those guys when to hit the pedal and when to, to settle it down. All right, let's turn our attention now to Loyola, North Carolina. And you played Loyola probably feels like a decade ago. I mean, it might have been Pat Spencer's first game or second game of his career. Uh, give us a sense as someone who saw him play at the beginning as opposed to the last couple of weeks, what you've seen. You know, obviously he was good then, but just the improvement and the way he's playing that position right now, what jumps out to you about Pat Spencer? Uh, what jumps out to me, you know, number one is his poise and composure. You know, as a young kid, he doesn't seem overwhelmed at all by the moment. Um, you know, you watch him, and he's got the ball in his sticks, you know, a, a good portion of, of the game, you know, when Loyal is on offense, you know, and he doesn't seem to be overwhelmed by double teams. He doesn't seem to be overwhelmed when teams press him a little bit or, you know, double team him. Um, you know, he makes great decisions. The other thing is how adept he is with both hands. Um, you know, normally you look at a guy and most, m- all, most players have tendencies and right handers usually spend the majority of their time playing righty and lefties spend the majority of their time playing lefty. I, I, I'm a little taken back by how well he plays with both hands. He feeds it with both hands. He's able to turn the corner. Uh, takes low angle shots with both hands. Uh, you know, I compared him to my staff. He reminds me a bit of Connor Gill, a really young Connor Gill, which you know who was an impressive player in his day. Um, you know, Pat Spencer's. He's you know what? I mean, he's a great example that a recruiting rankings really don't mean much because he he has been quite impressive this year. Um, now, if you were game planning against him again, I know you're not, you're not going to want to give away too much of your strategies, but you know you've told us before. You know, with Lyle Thompson and Dylan Malloy, you got to get it out of his stick before he gets to his spot. You know, you know, I know you tried to shut off Dylan Malloy, and that was you know your your strategy with Lyle many years ago when you played Albany every year. What would your strategy be? I know you're playing him again, so you're not going to tell me too much down the road. But sort of, if you were playing him this weekend, how do you try to neutralize Spencer uh, in the you know in a six on six? Well, you know, and number one, I think you've got to have a a very talented cover guy, which Carolina does. Uh, You know, Austin Pisani and uh, both he and Rowlett have had great years. Um, You know, so they got two guys that have played against quality attackmen kind of week in and week out with the schedule that they play. Uh, You know, when you watch him, I I think, number one, much of that decision depends on, on Carolina. You know, how do, what do they feel they're good at? What do they feel that they struggle with? You know, a thought is that, you know, when you watch Loyola and they play through X an awful lot, you know, I think the biggest change in Loyola is that their middies are, you know, moving the ball on to the attack and they're moving it through Spencer. And that's where a lot of their success is coming from. So a thought might be, you know, you take away X behind on them and you force the ball to go back out top and you keep it in the midfielder sticks and you don't allow it to go to, to Spencer and you don't allow him to distribute or attack you off an approach. Um, you know, another thing you can do is, you know, you can press him when he's adjacent and um, try to limit his touches a, a little bit, maybe frustrate him a, a little bit, um, you know. And then you got to decide one or two things from there. Do you want to slide to him early? Do you feel like you need to? Because if you do, he's certainly capable of picking you apart. Or do you want to leave your defender out on an island? I think, you know, quite frankly, um, you know, that's a decision that Carolina will have to make, um, you know, based off of their personnel and, and what they'll decide. I don't know. But those are a couple things you could do. And the other thing you could do is you can zone a little bit when the ball goes behind him. And then when the ball comes back out top, he can jump into man. Uh, you know, those are a couple of different 
ways you can handle a guy like him that really is a, a focal point for them. All right, finally, uh, let's turn our attention to North Carolina. And you mentioned they're playing for a purpose, and that became evident to anyone who was watching that game uh, at the end when Paul Carcaterra interviewed Coach Bresci and he was hugging Coach Holman and his players after that win in Columbus. Uh, Coach, you've known Joe Bresci for a long time. You competed against him. You were teammates with him in Team USA. You're pretty much the same age, so you grew up in the coaching ranks together. Uh, I know about a decade ago uh, you wanted and you had Johns Hopkins go out and play in the fall ball game for the Michael Bresci Scholarship Fund. Uh, just from that you know, human element, human angle, a guy who's known Joe Bresci for decades, what were your emotions watching that on TV when he had that victory in that city? You know, I, I texted him after the game, you know, and my, 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 my text was pretty simple. And just said, I'm really happy for you. Um, you know, I think this is, uh, one of the, the good guys in our sport. Um, you know, and he's, he and his family have suffered, uh, a tragedy that no one, no one should ever suffer through and you don't wish on anybody. Um, you know, I, you mentioned I, I was basically roommates with Joe with Team USA, um, you know, in 1994 and we really got to know each other even better then and, and have come through the ranks and, you know, I uh, I spent some time chatting with him uh, a year ago when we lost Jeremy Huber. Um, you know, and leaned on him for some advice. Um, you know, and on on how to handle those things. And you know what? It, it's it's you know I hate to use the word, but it's heartwarming to to see a guy who you know has you know worked very hard. You know, he's back at his alma mater. I know he's passionate about North Carolina. Um, he's a good man. Um, you know, and to see to, to see him have success, um, you know, I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, as a competitor, you'd love to be there. You'd love for it to be your team. But quite frankly, um, you know, to watch him yesterday, you have to think about a lot of things here. You know, that game was played at Ohio State, um, you know, where, you know, they had Michael and, and, and Michael sadly passed. Um, I'm sure – being back at Ohio State and seeing some of those places that they've been before brought back a lot of memories. Um, you know, the fact that his players are aware of, of you know, what, what's going on in Joe's life and has participated, you know, in the, the fall tournament with Ohio State for Michael and they understand what Joe and his wife have been through, um, you know, I, I think that had something to do with it. I think there was just a lot of play. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, North Carolina – you know, hasn't been to the Final Four in a while. And now to see all that culminate, um, you know, I, I can't imagine how emotional he really was. And it was, you know, quite frankly, really good to see a, a good guy, um, you know, have some positive things happen to him. So uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled for him. And he's done a great job with his team. And certainly, um, you know, I think this carries more weight for him than just, you know, winning a lacrosse game. Uh, well said. Can't put it any better than that. Uh, Coach Petromala, as always, I appreciate the time. This was some uh, great information. And like I told your colleagues, uh, Coach Tambroni and Coach Kruwick last week, uh, I'm probably going to steal a good 75% of it throughout the weekend. But uh, thank you very much. Uh, always enjoy talking lacrosse with you, Coach. Thanks a lot for the time. My pleasure, Amy. You guys are doing a great job. So keep it up. Thank you very much.
All right, well, you can't get better prepared for two games than that with Coach Dave Petromala breaking down the four teams. Now, a reminder, here's the schedule. Saturday at noon, it's North Carolina against Loyola. That game will be followed by Maryland and Brown. Both games Saturday from the Lincoln-Philadelphia on ESPN2. Also this week, I'll be at the link on Friday providing updates on laxmagazine.com and on Facebook to get you completely ready for all the games. But that'll do it for now. Until Friday from the link, remember, time, room, bullseye.